Okay, we're doing now the Naya portion, the Torah portion of Friday. It's a bit long, so we probably won't finish it, but we'll do as much as we can. So we left the ark, and yesterday we got reassurance from God himself, the sign of the rainbow, the world will never again be destroyed, be fruitful, have children, we refill the earth. The next thing we see in verse 18 of chapter 9, and the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Yafet. And Ham was the father of Kenan. The Rashi questions, well, what do we need this statement for? I mean, we're not telling anyone else this kid. Suddenly we're saying randomly, one of the three sons of Noah, his fourth son, like, why are, we, why are we mentioning this? Because what's going to happen, what we're about to talk about, is a whole very sad section, an unpleasant story of Noyach who became drunk and then Ham disgraced himself with him. And because of that, as we're going to learn today and understand why, Ham's son Kinnan was cursed. And we don't yet know who he is. We don't know who Kinnan is. So therefore, for the following passages to make sense to us, the Torah already preempts it and says, oh, and Ham's child was Kenan. These were the three sons of Nayak, and from these the whole world was spread out. We all come from Nayak, Naama, their three sons, and their three wives. That's all of mankind is descended from those eight people. And Nayak, the man of the earth, debased himself and planted a vineyard. So what does it mean, debased himself? So Rashi says he made himself profane because he should have first been involved in a different type of planting, not with vines and grapes and wine. Ishadam literally means the man of the earth. So Rashi says this means the master of the earth. Right now, Nayach is the master of the earth. The whole world is his. Uh, other commentators explain it differently. The Chagum Unkulis explains it as the man who works the earth. Ibn Ezra explains it as the man who knows how to work the earth. But Rashi says it's the master of the earth. And he planted a vineyard. So Rashi explains that the verse could have written, and he planted grapevines. But doesn't say plant, which is what he did. I mean, he didn't plant a vineyard, right? He planted grapevines. So Rashi says when he entered the ark, he brought with him twigs of grapevines and shoots of fig trees. So what Rashi is saying here is that it says he planted, just say he planted grapes, does he planted a vineyard, it means he planted a complete vineyard with all of the features in those days that were found in a vineyard. And one of the features found in a vineyard, for some reason that I don't know, is that it was customary to plant fig trees near the vineyard. And there's a number of different places in the Gemara where it speaks of figs growing near grapes. So that is why Rashi, to clarify this, says he had the grapevines and the shoots of the fig trees to plant, not just some grapes, a complete vineyard. Next verse. He drank of the wine and became drunk. He uncovered himself within his tent. So his tent, Rashi says, is written defectively. It's written as if it was a halah, her tent, which is an allusion to the ten tribes that were referred to by this term ahala. And those ten tribes, one of the reasons it says why they went to exile is over 
drinking too much wine. So therefore, instead of saying ahalo, his tent, it says ahala as a reference to these ten tribes who also got messed over because of drinking the wine. Vayiskal is and he covered himself, which Rashi explains as reflexive. The self in the word makes it come upon the person himself, meaning he uncovered himself. Next verse, here comes the really painful part of the story. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. So Rashi says, Ham, the father of Canaan. So, well, first of all, we did notice that already previously when we were introduced to this, we're talking about Canaan as the son of Ham. And now once again, right in the heart of the story, it's who's Ham? No, Ham, the father of Canaan. So Rashi say that some of our rabbis say that we're identifying Ham here as the father of Canaan because actually Canaan, Ham's fourth child, saw, and he went and told his father. And even though Ham did this horrific act, but Canaan was the inciter of it. And that's why he specifically is mentioned regarding this, and why he specifically is first. So it says, and he saw his father's nakedness. But if you look later, it sounds like he just looked at his father. Okay, I mean, that wasn't too respectful. That wasn't too appropriate. But no, actually, he did some horrible things. All of our sages say he emasculated him. And some say that's true, too. But this verse is actually specifically saying he had relationships with him. Either he emasculated him at this point, or he had relationships with him at this point, and then later emasculated him. Now, why does Rashi have to say that? Because later in the verse, it says, and Nayak realized what his small son had done to him. Done to him means there was an act. It wasn't like he saw and noticed. He actually did something. And that's why literally here, this scene means he did something. The next verse. So remember, after doing whatever horrible things he did, he went and told his brothers, but his brothers were of a very different moral caliber than him. There were three brothers, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. In age order, Yafet was the oldest, then Ham, and then Shem. In spiritual order, Shem was the tzaddik. Shem was the father of the Jewish people. And then Yafet. And then, obviously, you see Ham. But Shem and Yafet both did the appropriate thing here, as the verse says, and Shem and Yefes took a garment. But he's just saying, oh, whatever he said about the father, drinking, naked. Shem and Yefes took a garment, put it upon his shoulders, and they walked backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Meaning that when they went into the tent to cover their father, they still were so respectful, they didn't even see him in his disgrace. Which is a very powerful lesson, of course, on the power of sight and protecting ourselves from seeing something inappropriate and the power of respect and to what degree, even in this very unfortunate situation, they were giving respect to their father. And you see here, Tyra, who's so careful not to waste an extra letter, goes into all these extra words. They walked backwards. Their faces were backwards. They didn't see their father's nakedness. Torah is emphasizing this very, very much because if we see something negative, it, there's a reason. 
It's expressing our own negativity. It's expressing something that's impacting us. The Torah is saying that we're so careful not to see this. So Rashi says, and they took, if you look at the verse, it actually is, it doesn't literally mean they took, it means he took. Because really it's referring to shame, because shame exerted more effort here in fulfilling the commandment to honor his father more than Yafet which is why he actually received more for this than Yafes did. It says his children, meaning the Jewish people, received the mitzvah of tzitzis, the talus of tzitzis, in this merit. Yafes, who participated in the commandment, says his children earned the right of being buried. His, his gog, of the gog and mago concept, is a descendant, is a descent, he's the king of nations that descend from Yafet. Now, what does it mean that his children merited to be buried? I mean, everyone hopefully is buried, but it, what it means is that Yafet earned burial for his children in the land of Israel. After his children will be killed in the battle of Gog and Magog, they will still be buried, and they'll be buried in Eretz Yisrael in the merit of Yafet's righteousness here. And what's going to happen to the descendants of Canaan? So Shem's descendants have tzitzes. Yafes' descendants, even the wicked ones, who are participating in this war and are going to be killed, they'll be buried and in Eretz Yisrael. And Ham, who disgraced his father, his offsprings will be captive, as the verse says. He's going to lead the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, tattered, barefoot, etc. So these, Cush and Egypt, are the sons of Canaan, of Ham, I'm sorry. And the nations that came from them, Hush and Mitzrayim, are all descendants of Ham. So they have this, they're being cursed here to be slaves because of the evil of Ham and of Canaan. So when Rashi looks at this and he says, why does it say it twice? We already know that verse says they walk backwards. Why does it reiterate? And their faces are backwards to teach us that when they came close to Nayach and they needed to, like, to turn their bodies around to cover him, they still turn their faces backwards not to see. Not to see. You see something negative, it makes an impression on you. When you see something negative, it's reflecting a certain evil sometimes in you. Not to see. Then it says Nayach awoke from his wine and realized what his small son had done to him. And what his small son had done to him, this is a question because as I explained to you, Ham was not the youngest son. The youngest son actually was Shem. So why are we calling Ham the small son? So Rashi says small here doesn't mean youngest, it means the defective son, the disgraceful son. And he said, Cursed is Canaan, a slave of slaves shall it be to his brother. Cursed is Canaan. Why are we going to Canaan here? So, of course, we said before, one reason Rashi gave before is because Canaan was really the inciter of Ham in this whole story. Here, Naich is saying, Ham, you didn't want me to have a fourth child. You didn't allow me to father a fourth child. Because I said, according to all interpretations, he emasculated him at this point. You didn't let me have another son to serve me. So your fourth son should be cursed and have to serve the offsprings of your greater, older Brothers, older, not mean newly in age, but in greatness, Shem and Yafes. Because right now, Shem and Yafes are going to have to take care of me because you're not letting me have a fourth son to take care of me. And then Rajah says, why did Ham do this? Why would he do so? I mean, you could say a very horrific 
desire and lust could lead to having relationships with him, a horrifically warped, horrible desire. But emasculating, I mean, where does that come from? The Rashi says that Ham said, I don't want to have, I don't want to have more kids. Look, Cain and Hevel, they, they, you know, Cain killed Hevel over splitting up the world. There's three of us that's already enough. We don't need a fourth son to divide the world among. Sounds a little preposterous. You're dividing a world. <laughs> you see people's headspace. What, three of us, it's already too much. We already, you know, a third of the world, I don't want less than that. Um, then it says, and he said, blessed is God, the God of Shem, and Canaan shall be a slave to them. So blessed is the God of Shem. Marsh explains he's going to keep his promise to the offsprings of Shem, means the Jewish people, and give them the land of Canaan. Like Canaan, who we're cursing here, who's the, you know, the, the thrust of these curses. In other words, some say that Noah said he can't directly curse Ham because obviously these people that were in the boat, in the ark, in the teva, Nayak, his wife, Shem, Ham, and Yafaz, and their children, they were all blessed by God. So even though Ham did this horrific act, the way to curse Ham is through cursing his children. And specifically from his children, he had quite a number. We're focusing on Kenan as the one that incited the whole story, as the one, the fourth son, parallel to the fourth son that Nayak can no longer have. So Kenan temporarily got the land of Israel that then will be taken from Kenan and given to the descendants of Shem, to the Jewish people. And he shall be a slave to them as a servant to pay tribute. So we could question, well, what, what are we repeating this for? We already were told that Canaan is going to be a slave, the descendants of Canaan will be slaves to the descendants of Shem and Yafes. But here we're adding, not just that he personally will be a slave as an individual, but we're saying here that the descendants of Shem, the Jewish people, are going to take possession of the land of Israel. So Canaan is not just a servant. He's going to be a nation subjugated by another nation. He's going to be paying tribute to the nation of the Jewish people. And then he said, verse 27, may God extend Yafes and may he dwell in the tents of shame and Canaan shall be a slave to them. So Yast Elohim Yafes, Rosh explains it to me, he should extend. Um, he should dwell in the tents of shame. The divine presence is going to rest on the Jewish people. So what are we talking about here? The Rashi is explaining it that this is this, he should dwell in the tents of shame. It's not really a reference to Yafes, it's a reference to God who's dwelling in the tents of shame. Other commentators disagree. For example, the Targum Yenison says, what does it mean he should dwell in the tents of shame? That literally the descendants of Yafes will convert and they will sit and study Tyra with the descendants of shame, in the tents of shame, in the study halls of shame. The Harashi is looking at it, this he who's going to dwell in the tents of shame actually means God. The Midrash says, when it says this idea it's, it's of, of uh, giving beauty to Yafet, that the beauty is actually the reference to the second temple that Kairish, who was a descendant of Yafet, he was the king of Persia. Persia was one of the countries descended from Yafet. So Kairish, as the king of Persia, is a descendant of Yafet. He built the second temple. That's Yastel Kim Yafet making it so beautiful that Yafes is part of the building of the second temple. But, the verse continues, he will dwell in the tents of shame because the divine presence rested far more in the first temple. 
that was built by Shlomo HaMelech, a direct descendant, of course, of shame. And Canaan shall be a slave to them. Well, we already know this. We already were told this actually twice. Why are we being told this a third time? What's the new point here? That even after the children of shame will be exiled, as unfortunately, of course, our nation has been exiled for about 1,946 years. But even then, they will get slaves, they'll buy slaves from the children of Canaan. That's why it's repeated a third time for another point. And Noach lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noach were 950 years, and he passed away. And we are not done the portion of, of, of Friday, but we'll stop at this point. Good job.